Thank you, choir, and I'm so appreciative of them throughout this holiday season and the way that they have led us in worship, and thankful to Dr. Long and our musicians as well. Uh, I invite you to turn with me this morning uh, to Philippians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 3 through 7. Now, as you turn there, I'll just let you know that my plan, Lord willing, is to embark on a sort of larger sermon series next week, uh, but for today, uh, I hope to give us some perspective uh, as we come to the end of one year and as we look with anticipation to a new one. So, Philippians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7. This is God's Word. 4 through 7, I'm sorry. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, we know that you are the faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love you and keep your commandments to a thousand generations. Father, it is your hand and your word that has established us as your people through the work of Jesus Christ, your Son. And so we pray now that you would be pleased to speak to our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit so that we might be strengthened by your grace and might glorify you more and more, our King and our Redeemer. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as I said, uh, this is a time of year that is often one of great anticipation. If you're like me, and you like new beginnings, uh, then there's much to look forward to. Uh, there's a lot of exciting possibilities with the new year. Uh, at the same time, however, I recognize that for many, uh, a new year, whether it's due to the past, you know, events that have come before, or, or whether it is due to the present, or whether it's due uh, to the unknown of the future, uh, it can often be uh, a source of much anxiety uh, this time of year, and maybe even some fear. You know, how will the events from the past affect the coming days? And what will our lives look like this time next year? Now, it's a lot to consider, and honestly, there's no way for us, finite creatures that we are, to know with certainty how all of these various strands of our lives will work out. And so the question, no matter how we approach the new year, whether it's with anticipation or with anxiety, is how do we venture into the unknown? You know, particularly as God's people, as members of Christ's church, how do we face uncertainty? How do we face the hurdles or the roadblocks that life so often throws at us? And how do we live in a way that is consistent with the gospel calling that Christ has given us, consistent with our faith? How do we live for Christ in all things? Well, here in Philippians 4, uh, Paul gives us at least three ways that we can and should uh, approach our ever-changing circumstances. Uh, they are, as the title of our sermon suggests, joy, gentleness, and peace. Now, in some ways, those things are going to be surprising to us, knowing how unknown the future can be, how can we live in this way? How can we live with joy, gentleness, and peace? Uh, 
with the time that we have left, that's what I want us to consider. So the first thing I want you to notice in this passage is joy. Real Christian joy. Now as you know, joy is a theme that runs throughout this little epistle. I think it's the reason why I love it so much, but it's joy, and it's joy rightly so. You'll remember uh, from Acts 16 that, that the Philippians were some of Paul's very first Christian converts, and as we read through the letter, it seems that since that time, since the time of their original conversion, they have continued to grow and to thrive in the faith that they originally believed. Certainly, These people are special to Paul. They are near to his heart. And so, on the one hand, it's not surprising that this letter would be as joyful as it is. On the other hand, however, as we dig deeper into the context of Philippians, what we find is that these are people who are dealing with uh, a number of problems, uh, a number of worries what we might really call outright fear. There, there is division and fighting among some in the church there. Uh, there are false teachers challenging what they believe. And then, of course, there is the constant threat from an unbelieving, largely anti-Christian world. And that reality is seen in Paul himself, who is writing from a Roman prison, facing an uncertain future, maybe even death. To put it shortly, the Philippians, they they have plenty to occupy their minds, plenty to be stressed and worried about. And so in that sense, it's surprising when Paul here, for at least the fourth time, calls them in verse 4 to rejoice. And notice the, the qualification that he adds there. It's rejoice how often? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, to some degree or another, that should give us pause. Does Paul really mean always in the traditional sense that we think about that? And if so, what in the world does that even mean? Is that even possible in the world that we live in right now, in this fallen world? You know, we may feel joy most of the time. We've just come through a very joyful season. Certainly, we feel joy when good things happen, exciting things occur. But how many of us feel joyful always? You know, what about when things seemingly fall apart in our lives? And many of us know what that's like. What about when we we lose a job or we lose someone that we love dearly? For that matter... How can Paul speak this way, confined in a Roman prison, with a clear desire, one that he has expressed in chapter 1, to be through with all of his circumstances? Really, a a desire to be through with this life, at least in the sense that he is living it. How can there be joy there? How can there be joy in those types of places? How can there be joy always? Well, the answer is much like Christian love or Christian hope, Christian joy is not primarily a product of our feelings or of our circumstances. No, Christian joy is a product of our position in Christ. Rejoice where? In Christ the Lord. 
Go back to, to chapter 1 for a minute. When, when Paul is wrestling with his circumstances and his own desires to be done with them, what is the conclusion that he ultimately comes to there? It's not, oh, my circumstances will hopefully get better. Hopefully all of this will be great in the end. It's not, oh, I'll just keep my chin up and I'll face it like a man. No, his conclusion is that he will and he can face whatever may come with eager expectation, with eager hope, because there in verse 21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because to die will mean being physically with the Lord. In other words, whatever may happen in his life, good, bad, or indifferent, None of it can change this fundamental truth. Paul belongs to his Savior, mind, body, and soul. And nothing, nothing in all of the world can separate him from the love of that Savior. That's the source of Christian joy. And that's the reason why the command is always the one who is the source of that joy, the one who that joy is rooted in. He does not change, and he will not fail. Therefore, our joy is consistent. Our joy is always it's in the Lord. Now, th- does that mean that we will feel no pain? Does that mean that, that we will be giddy in all circumstances? Uh, do we have to be sort of the, the stereotypical Christian who is oblivious to the world and all of its realities? Well, I don't have to tell you that that's not a possibility. You know it as well as I do. We face the, the realities of this life and we know that they're there. We know the truth of it. But here is what is even more true than all of those circumstances. As Christians, we know even in the midst of stress and fear and loss, that we have found the only sure place for our souls. In Christ, we have found the only one who will last in this lifetime and even into the next. And so we can rejoice in His holiness. We can rejoice in His providence, in His sovereignty, in His goodness, in His justice, in His strength. Christ has died for us, as Ben reminded us. We are His. And so we have a reason in all things for joy. As we face a new year, we can face it with joy. Not not because of our circumstances, not because of the realities of our lives, but we can face it with joy because of the one whom we are resting in, because of Jesus. Secondly, in this passage, notice that our Christian life should also be marked... In my ESV translation, it's reasonableness, but there's a footnote that also says gentleness. Our lives are marked by gentleness. Now here again, we find Paul sort of rehearsing one of the themes of this book. As we said, it seems that there is at least some division, not not to the extent of maybe the Corinthian church, but there are some divisions within the church at Philippi, and Paul is quick to address them. You remember in Philippians 2, he encourages them to be humble, to have the same mind in themselves that was also in Christ Jesus, to follow Christ's example in their interactions with one another. 
Later, he encourages them to do all things without grumbling or disputing. And then here in chapter 4, he addresses these two women, uh, Judea and Syntyche. Uh, he addresses them directly, calling on them to agree in the Lord. And so my point is clearly Paul intends for God's people to act in a certain way, a certain way towards one another. But then here in verse 5, he seems to expand it even further beyond the confines of the church calling the Philippians to make their gentleness known to all, to, to everyone that they interact with. Now let me ask you a question. Given the circumstances that these Philippians find themselves in, given the circumstances that Paul finds himself in, with the worry and the fear and the stress and all of those things, how gentle do you think that they really wanted to be? ask you this, how gentle would you be in those circumstances? You know, somebody once said, and I don't know who it was, but they said some people manage stress with yoga and meditation and long walks. I manage stress with food, sarcasm, and swearing. Now, obviously, I'm not encouraging you to do that, but, but I suspect for many of us, that may often be the way that we handle these circumstances in our lives. Those feelings that, that, that come up in us. And so how, in the midst of all the uncertainty, can Paul call us to be gentle? Doesn't he know? Doesn't he know how we react? Doesn't he know how we feel? Well, in many ways, I think the answer goes back to what we've already seen, or at least it is rooted in what we've already seen. Think about it. How many joyful people do you know uh, who are mean-spirited? How many joyful people do you know who are difficult to get along with? Uh, how many joyful people do you know that are looking for a fight or a debate to enter into? I wouldn't think there'd be very many because if they were, they won't be joyful for very long. No, if we are rejoicing in the Lord, if we are considering who He is and what He has said, then it stands to reason, in fact, that, that we will have no other choice and to begin to think about others. You know, just consider a few things that, that Jesus has said in the Gospels. And you know all of these things. So I won't ask you to turn there and we won't spend much time. But think about the greatest commandment. right? Love the Lord with all your heart. And what's the second one after it? Love your neighbor as yourself. He gives us the golden rule. He says they will know you by your love. He even goes so far as to say as to love your enemies. And the list of these things could go on and on. Not only that, but consider the, the example that Jesus himself has set for us. At every point in his earthly life, his thoughts and his actions were for who? For the, the Lord first, for his Father. They were also for others. They were never for himself. His gentleness, even to the worst of sinners, even to those who were most unclean, was constantly on display. So again, my point is we can't look to Him, we can't grow closer to the Savior without our focus shifting from inward to outward. We can't walk with Christ and not see and care for the needs of others. Our lives, they should be marked by gentleness, even in the most difficult places. Now friends, 
This is taking a, a slight rabbit hole, but I'm going to do it quickly. I'm afraid we as American Christians in 2023, in our current political climate, in our current culture, as we begin to experience maybe some, some persecution for our faith, we have forgotten how to be gentle. We have forgotten that this is what the Lord has called us to be. Too often, it seems, we are more concerned with being right, with winning the argument, with getting our way, than we are, with, than we are to showing who we are, showing the truth of our faith, showing real Christian gentleness. We want to be judge, jury, and executioner. Friends, that's not our place, right? We come to the one who is the judge, who is the jury, and who ultimately bring all of that to completion. What he calls us to show is real Christian gentleness. He calls us to follow his example, his earthly life, and to live in that way. Now somebody will say, well, isn't it our duty to stand firm for truth? You know, don't we need to defend the gospel? And obviously the answer to that question is yes. You know, we can't compromise truth. We can't compromise the particulars of the gospel message. But here's the hard reality. A hard reality that, that our sinful pride can't seem to accept. Who is it that ultimately changes hearts? Who is it that makes the truth come to bear in people's lives? Who is it, as we've said, that will come to judge the living and the dead? Well, friends, it's not me, and it's not you either. Yes, we are a part of the means that God has ordained to use to take the gospel message out. But in the grand scheme of things, he is the only one who can change hearts. He is the one who must work in people's lives. That's at least part of Paul's point there at the end of verse 5 when he reminds us that the Lord is at hand. He knows that, that we are in the last days between Christ's comings. And he knows that when he does return, he will take care of every injustice. That he will deal with all those who have fought against him and against his people. That every knee will bow, willingly or not, before the high king of heaven, before the one who is the only true judge. Our Savior, he will bring the verdict and none will prevail against him. So that means we don't have to win the day. No, he has already won the day. We don't have to return every slight or prove how right we are at every turn. No, our Savior will do that. He has proven how right he is. And in the meantime, he is calling us to be gentle. And he, even now, is at hand once again giving us the strength to be just that. He's giving us the strength to bite our tongues, to react with love and care instead of hate and, and, and anger. He's given us the strength to be gentle as we deal with each other and as we deal with the world. The, the Lord is on our side, friends. 
what man should we fear? What man or world or anything created thing can, can stand against us? The answer is nothing and no one. And so we can live as he has commanded. Even when it's hard, even when we don't want to, even when it means setting aside our pride, we can be gentle. So, joy, gentleness, and then thirdly and finally in this passage, we see peace. And it's peace that comes through thankful prayer. But before we get to that point, notice that he first gives us a commandment. He says, don't be anxious about anything. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read that command, it actually has the effect of making me more anxious. Um, You know, so often I I am anxious, but then I think no scripture says, Paul says in Philippians 4, not to be anxious. And so I think, you know, I got to stop doing that, and then I just end up wrestling with my anxiety, and I end up just being more anxious than I was before. I end up being anxious about my anxiousness. It is a a vicious cycle. Um, If I try to fix my worries, uh, they just get worse. But notice here, Paul isn't telling us just to stop feeling anxious. He's not saying, hey, stop feeling that way. Nor is he calling us to fix the problems by ourselves. No, once again, he directs our focus towards God by reminding us that the only safe and sure place to deal with our anxieties is on our knees before the Lord. Rather than wallowing in our fears, rather than trying to work up enough strength and courage to overcome them ourselves, which we won't do, God calls us as a good father to unload our worries before his throne of grace. To bring it all to him and to leave it at his feet. Now friends, isn't that amazing? Isn't that a wonderful truth to begin a new year with? Through Christ, we have access to the holy and righteous God of all creation. And that God, He calls us to come before Him with all of our mess, with all of our fears, all of our worries, no matter how big or how small they may be. And isn't it amazing that He cares enough to hear them? He cares enough to... To, to consider what we have to say. You think about the psalmist in Psalm 8, right? What is man that, that you would be mindful of him? That he would hear and that he would answer. Friends, what a privilege we have in prayer. A privilege. What a, what a, a place and a cure for our anxiety we have been granted in prayer. Notice, however, that there is a qualification attached to this kind of prayer. Yes, it's open access, and yes, it's bring it all, but it's also prayer with thanksgiving. In other words, this is not simply reciting all of our needs and just a long list and say, God, fix all of these things for me. No, it's also recognizing all the blessings and all the gifts 
that he has bestowed upon us. Now, why is that important? Why does Paul give us that qualification? Why is it necessary for this kind of prayer? Well, several things. Remember, remembering how much we have to be thankful for, it tends to make us less anxious, right? Now, when we realize that, that our needs and our fears, uh, they, they, they are not as great as, they, as we thought they were, by remembering all of the great things that God has blessed us with, all of the good that he has brought into our lives. When we see it all piled up before us, and friends, if you begin to to list the good gifts that God has given, just the basic things, clean water, things that a great majority of the world does not know, roof over our head, shelter, just basic needs that he has provided for us, it takes away our anxiety. He has provided He is good to us. But again, as I've said, by by listing all of those things with thankfulness, we are also bound to remember something of the one who has given us all of those good gifts as well, right? As we list all of his blessings, we remember his goodness. We remember his faithfulness, his sure provision, his unfailing love. And the reality is, is as we think about his attributes, what happens to our anxiety? Well, in light of our God, in light of his vastness, in light of his transcendence, in light of his eminence, his closeness to us, all of those fears, they don't seem quite as daunting, quite as formidable as they once did. You know, if he has not failed in the past, if he has always cared for us to this point, And if he is who he has revealed himself to be, then friends, we truly have nothing to fear. Nothing, no one can overcome us. What we're left with is what Paul leaves us with here. We're left with peace. Perfect peace. Now notice this peace. It's not a peace that is conditional on us getting what we want. In other words, Paul doesn't say, pray with thanksgiving, so that God will give you the answers to all your prayers, and then you'll have peace. No. He says, pray like this, and no matter whether God answers the prayers like you want Him to or not, there is peace to be had. Even if He doesn't do what we thought or hoped He would do, even if the the source of our anxieties remain, peace is still the result of knowing him. And to that end, notice it is a peace that passes understanding. Now the point here is not that the, the, the peace that we get is difficult to define, but that it's difficult to comprehend. How can someone have this sort of peace in the hardest places of life? Think about all of the, the great Christian martyrs who have faced death with a peace that, goes, that, that will blow our mind. I have had the great privilege of sitting with so many of you as you have lost loved ones, and I've seen the peace that that Paul talks about in your hearts and in your lives. Think about those who have been given difficult diagnoses, and yet faced with all of those circumstances, there's calmness. There's assurance. How? Friends, the only answer is that they know this sort of peace. They know the peace 
of knowing God. God who, there Paul says, guards our hearts and our minds. This is military type of language. You know, he is a warrior. He is um, an MP, a military police. He is a guard who is keeping the enemy at bay. Satan will not touch us. Sin will not overcome us. Even our own sinful hearts will not overcome us. He is guarding us. He is keeping us. And then finally, notice he guards and he keeps us where? In Christ. It's only as we rest in the saving work of Jesus, as we rest in his unchanging care, and as we trust in his sure intercession for us, that we can find peace. Truly, he is our peace. Peace with the Father, and also peace in a lost and dying world. And so there's joy, there's gentleness, and there's peace, even in the unknown, even as we face whatever the future may bring to us. And so as we conclude this final sermon of 2023, let me ask you once again, how will you deal with what's gone before us? And how will you face all that lies ahead? Certainly. That there is much that can cause us anxiety. There's much that can cause us fear. There's much that we just simply cannot know. Yet in the midst of all of our changing circumstances, in the midst of a cloudy future, our God and His Word do not fail. They will not fail, and they cannot fail. His promises are always sure in Christ. And so we, as his people, we can rejoice in all things. We can be gentle with all people in all circumstances. And we can live with a sure and profound peace through thankful prayer to our Father. Friends, it's my prayer that in our individual lives and in the life of New Albany Presbyterian Church, that that in 2024... Those lives would be marked by these things, all by his grace and all to his glory as we pray together. Father God, we are so thankful for your love towards us, for your mercy and your grace, a grace that that gives us great joy. Lord, when we consider the works of your hands, when we consider what you have done for us, we've just come through this Christmas season where we have celebrated the incarnation. We've considered all that Jesus came to do. When we, when we wrestle with those realities, we can't help but rejoice to shout from the rooftops the truth of your love. And Lord, that love, as it works in our hearts, it leads us to go out into the world and gently deal with those who are lost, gently deal with those among your people. And Lord, it calls us to have a sweet peace. And Lord, we, we all, no matter where we may be in our lives today, long for that. Long to have peace in a chaotic world. So Lord, help us to rest in what Jesus has done. Help us to rest in the only sure place for our souls. And Lord, may that resting transform our lives so that we do go out into the world and live as your people. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.